Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my marvelous co-hosts with me today. Yes, marvelous. I'm going with a different word. First up, he's the other lore-focused writer over on Blizzard Watch. That would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Shazam. Shazam. <laughs> okay. How you doing? Apparently, I'm marvelous. I, I, yeah, I yes. didn't know. Yes, you are. <laughs> Also with us is our other is our other co-host. He's a shaman writer. He's also a lore aficionado. That would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Hello. I, I didn't have anything clever like Shazam to say, so. I, I like the Shazam. <laughs> I've never heard that described as clever before, but I'll take it. <laughs> I liked it. It was funny. Anyway, uh, hey, guys. Hello. How's it going? Uh, better. <laughs> I've learned the joys of giving medication to a cat who doesn't really want you near her face. Oh. It's fun. <laughs> oh, that that sounds like a bundle of joy I want nothing to do with. <laughs> yep, that is that is that is probably wise. All right, yeah, we had to we had to give medication to our cat Puck, and Ooh. Puck is Puck is free with her claws at the best of times. Like yeah, so you try giving her medication, and it's just like it's like trying to medicate a blender. Yeah, really that is. is that is that is an accurate description. Luna is very much that same way. A sentient blender. Yeah, N- neither of those things sound fun. But moving on, we've got stuff to talk about today. Uh, we do have some emails that we will get to, but uh, before we get to those, we had like not one but two comics released <laughs> since uh, we last got together for Lore Watch, which I wasn't actually expecting. Um, I figured we would have comics at some point. I think I forgot just how close it is to the release of the next expansion. Because it's like two and a half months or something like that. Now. Yeah, end of August. Yeah. which Actually, is middle of August. Mid-August. Mid-August. It's like, yeah. Is it the 19th or the 15th? I don't I, remember. 
don't remember either. I have it pre-ordered. It's fine. <laughs> when it comes out, it will load on my screen and I will play I think it. It's, I think it's going to be the 15th. Is it the 15th? Okay. I anyway, think so it yeah, is. It's, like, it's like two and a half months until the next expansion, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, and I probably should have been thinking that we would see more comics and things like that. Uh, thus far, no audio dramas, no novellas or anything like that. Obviously, next week before the storm... Christy Golden's latest novel, that comes out, and that's going to be exciting. Um, however, we will be talking about that on the next Lore Watch that we get together for. Uh, this mm-hmm. one, though, let's just talk a little bit about these comics, because there are two of them. The second one is a lot more introspective than the first, I think, although the first is kind of introspective. But the first involves somebody who we haven't seen in a while, and that would be Jaina Proudmore. Um, the comic is called Reunion. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. You can find it for free on Blizzard's website, which is great. Uh, it was written by Andrew Robinson. And the artist, it's a couple of artists. There's uh, Linda Cavallini. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And Emmanuel Tenderini, who I'm also pr- hoping I pronounce that correctly. Anyway, uh, in this one, we actually find out where Jane has been. It turns out it's a pretty simple explanation. She's been off fighting demons, just on her own, not with anybody in particular, certainly not with the Horde. (laughs) But uh, in the book here, in the comic, we find her, she returns to Theramore, and then she makes another trip, and it's in disguise, and she goes to Boralus. And if you've played on the beta, then you know where Boralus is. If you haven't, Boralus is basically going to be the Alliance capital city in Kul for the expansion. When you first land in Kul you hit Boralus. And the first people that you talk to are in Boralus. Um, so that's also the place where Jaina's mom is at in Proudmoore Keep. Um, they don't think too kindly of Jaina there. I don't know. What did you guys think of the comic? I mean, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I, I knew from Chronicle that the people of Kul didn't like her. And to be honest, I wasn't surprised even before that. Why would they like her? Um, she basically, you know, turned her back on her father and let him die. And he was a hero to them. And they didn't have any reason to like the Horde. Why would they care about making peace with the Horde? From their perspective, the Horde had just, you know, just 20 years earlier, not even 20 years earlier, more like 10 years earlier, yeah. the Horde had, like, practically tried to destroy them, had killed, like, you know, the, the heir to the throne, had, yeah, these these weren't, there's, they had no reason to to like buy into the whole. Well, no, we're going to make peace thing. No, so I wasn't surprised. I thought it was interesting. It's setting up stuff you're going to see in the expansion fairly effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, the tensions in Boralus, the political ones, which I'm not going to talk about because that's you know spoilers. But they did a good job of with relatively few pages setting up what you're going to see when you go there. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean it's nothing earth shattering right like these are all things that you kind of expect um i like the way that it sets up the tension for in particular the story revolving around jaina uh and everything that happens there i like that they do that i also like some of the little touches like one of the the it's such a small panel but i really appreciate it is when when jaina goes back home in disguise there's a panel where she's using her power to amplify her hearing and it's such a small little thing but all of the things we see about magic in, in warcraft has been so overt and offensive that it's really rare that you see something as simple as you know in game terms like summoning food it's such a small thing but it's such a meaningful thing and 
seeing that that mages have other abilities besides like casting fireball or mass teleportation is actually really cool and clever because it makes you wonder what else she's capable of doing. And I really like that. I like the fact that they showcase that she has a, a sort of depth beyond just a combat mage, which I think is cool. Here's what I find interesting, and it's one of those things that obviously we didn't know where Kulturis was. We haven't heard anything from it since, like, the whole thing in Warcraft 3 with Dalen Proudmoore. We haven't heard anything, not a peep from Kulturis. So I had assumed, perhaps prematurely assumed, that because we didn't know anything about Kulturis, Kulturis didn't know anything about us. And the comic pretty much put the kibosh on that. They've been keeping track of the rest of the world. Well, doesn't that make sense? Isn't there like Kulturian like soldiers like randomly throughout the world, like post cataclysm world, right? Yeah, right here and there. But the thing is, is it was there was always that lingering question of are these people actually from Kulturis or are these the remnants of Dalen's fleet? Right, and I think I think the idea, at least from this comic, and knowing that now, it's it's so much more likely that they're not just the remnants of Dalen's fleet because I'm fairly confident that the remnants would have gone home if they could have. Um, but you know, flow of information, information is power. That's always been the way of war, and so having your people going out and finding out what's happening in the world around you is one of the best ways to keep your people safe because you know when something's coming your way so it makes perfect sense to me and i actually i kind of like that that sort of i don't want to say explanation but that sort of how they fit into that greater puzzle that way i mean these guys are a major naval port so it kind of stands to reason that oh yeah okay they've been getting their news from somewhere there's a lot of pirates all over the place um that's not really i don't think that's too spoiler heavy it's it's a naval it's an island you guys there's pirates <laughs> so i mean they've got to be getting their news from somewhere that's fine it's just it kind of put a spin on the whole assumption that i had because i know that the dynamic that i was expecting was that if and when jane proudmore returned home she would have to explain to these guys what happened to dalen proudmore Turns out they already know what happened, and they are not happy about it, which is a different kind of dynamic, but I kind of appreciate it. Jaina's not going home to, like, open welcoming arms here. These guys are mad, and they have every right to be. I mean, all they know about the Horde is that the Horde was responsible for the Second War. They were responsible for the death of Jaina's older brother, and Jaina apparently turned around and decided to side with these guys against her own father, the leader of Kulturis. So, yeah, animosity isn't really unexpected here. What I didn't expect, though, like I said, was just, like, the breadth of information that they have in regards to the outside world. Like, they know about everything that's going on here. It's very clear that they've got their fingers on the pulse of whatever. And I mean, it makes a certain amount of sense in that regard, too, especially like you said, being a port city. And it's it, it this goes to like a Twitter conversation we had or I had uh, a couple of days ago. There are neutral factions or neutral people that are neither Horde nor Alliance, whether, you know, they're not major players, but there are NPCs that don't really fall into either of those categories. And those NPCs tend to be seafaring races, you know, Tuscar or, you know, even some of the unaligned Pandarans, they're still wanderers out there somewhere. And they haven't 
necessarily aligned. There's nothing that says that they wouldn't have gone to Kaltiris and traded or traded information or come across those sailors in their travels, right? So, I mean, there's tons of ways they could get this information, which I think is nice because it shows that as a port city, it's doing, or as a port nation, as a naval nation, it's doing what it would be doing like in real life, right? Like they wouldn't be that isolated. They would have their ways of getting that information. Yeah, and I think that's what I appreciate because like I said, in my mind, because we knew nothing about Kulteris, I kind of thought of it like, oh, I don't know, like how Suramar was introduced or how Pandaria was introduced where it's just living in this bubble away from everything and it has no contact with us and we have no contact with it. Only that's not the case that's really not the case and we've been ignoring it why have we been ignoring it that just seems silly um i think it's also a very important thing to to note and this is not i don't really consider this a spoiler but it's neither nobody is unaware of the rest of the world is right. really what it boils down to and i think that's really kind of important this expansion coming i think suramar was the only one that was really unaware of anything and that's because mm-hmm. well it was cut off like deliberately cut off it's not anymore yep. There are people crawling around all over the place. Anyway, uh, Jane and Proudmore Reunion. Totally recommend reading it because it is a very good setup for what you guys will see in Battle for Azeroth in just a couple of months, which is weird to think about. Uh, the other comic. The other comic was... I almost enjoyed this one more because we got... Okay, the comic is called Magni the Speaker. And... Here's what we know about Magni Bronzebeard. He was the leader of the dwarves. He got turned into diamond right at the beginning, like in the prelude to Cataclysm, like before Cataclysm even kicked off. Uh, He was trying to figure out what the source of the elemental unrest was, and he participated in this ritual that turned him into diamonds. Uh, Everybody thought he was dead. Turns out he was not dead. He woke up, and he is speaking for the planet now. He was basically in communion with the world soul that resides at the heart of the world. Um, At this point, that world soul really isn't very happy and isn't speaking very coherently, probably because, oh, I don't know, Sargeras shoved a gigantic sword through the middle of it, (laughs) and now it's leeching this stuff called Azerite all over the place. Um, What I find interesting about this, though, is that I don't know exactly how much we knew about Magni going into this. When he was introduced in World of Warcraft, he was the leader of the dwarves yeah but we didn't know much about his backstory we knew that his daughter had been quote unquote i'm like air quoting here kidnapped by the dark iron and then it turned out no she wasn't kidnapped at all or maybe she was but now she was staying there willingly and she's also carrying the child of a dark iron um so there was all that political intrigue but there wasn't much about magni's life prior to all of that and this comic jumped right into it and it didn't pull any punches um nope yeah what did you guys think well it's good that we finally know magni's wife's name after 14 years yep you know it's something that was good that they introduced it was also good to get another look at the magni more relationship that isn't just the he wanted a son so he wasn't happy with her there's more to it than yeah it's not that he was necessarily wanted a son he did want one, but that's not the the issue. It wasn't that he wanted Moira to be his son. It's that he wanted Moira to be safe. And especially after his wife dies. Um, and I don't, if you haven't read the story yet, I'm about to talk about something in the story. Uh, nope, his we're going to go right into it because, yeah, it's been out, yeah. guys. There's, there's no spoilers. We're just going to talk about the comic. If you haven't so, read uh, it, pause here, go read the comic, come back. It'll take you like five minutes. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Rossi. 
when his wife dies in a, in an attack from the uh, the Frostman trolls, they basically attack and they they kill her escort and they they wound her gravely so that she dies shortly after Magni arrives. It changes his relationship with Moira. It curdles it. He starts pushing harder to try and make her like you know all capable. He's trying to you know he's trying to institute some method of surety that she'll be safe no matter what. And even his own brother is like, you're pushing her to be something she isn't. And he's like, look, I'm just trying to protect her. If she can't see that, I can't control that. And he goes, and like everything else you can't control, you either push too hard or just give up. Neither of those is going to work this time. You can't do that. And it's, it's him ruminating on his new role through the lens of his failure with his daughter, which is an interesting take. You don't get a lot of father-daughter stories in World of Warcraft. Uh, so it was interesting to get to see it from that perspective, to get to see it when she's a child, when he's got his wife, when he's got a balance where he has somebody there to help him. You know, if he if he goes too far in one direction, there's somebody else there to, to stop it and how it changes when he loses his wife. Uh, it's it's you know, that's another thing. We've seen quite a few World of Warcraft, Warcraft stories where someone's wife dies. That's not that's like they like it almost as much as Disney. Disney yeah, absolutely that's... loves it, and, and World of Warcraft is just there with him. But this time, at least, you get to see the cost, what it co- – you know, you don't really – even with Varian, you never really got to see it. Like, you didn't get to see him with his wife very often. You don't get to see what it really cost other than him just saying, yeah, and then it, it really sucked. And it made me sad for a long time. It, it, this, you actually, in a few panels, you get to see how the relationship changes. So I thought that was a really interesting thing to do. What I found really cool here is that there are actually – Okay, you guys read uh, Prelude to Cataclysm and the Shattering, right? Yep. Okay. Anduin was sent to Ironforge specifically to learn how to fight and to learn how to be a warrior. And while he was there, he figured out that he was being called to be a priest instead. That was like a big thing. Mm-hmm. It looks like Moira kind of followed the same path where her dad was like, here, fight with a sword, do this other stuff. You need to be able to defend yourself. But she was going down a different path. And I mean, she's a priest in, in game. Um, so it's like there are parallels between Anwin and Moira. And, and Magni is kind of like that bridge between the two, which I find interesting. And I'm sort of wondering if we'll see more of that explored between Anwin and Moira in particular, where the two of them will actually talk more. Because in the Shattering, I mean, when she showed up in the Shattering, was she holding him against her, her his will? Kind of, yeah, because she put the whole place on lockdown when she returned to Ironforge after after Magni went diamond. Like she put the whole place on lockdown, and Varian was prepared, like prepared to kill her, and Andrew mm-hmm. stopped him. Um, and he and Moira had had a couple of conversations, just like small conversations, not a lot of conversation. But now that Andwin is kind of leading the alliance, I'm wondering if that dynamic between him and the dwarves and him and Moira in particular is going to change or shift in any kind of way, um, where she's going to step up in kind of a larger role. Magni, what I find interesting about this is that there is a parallel between how Magni was handling Moira and how he's handling, he's using what he learned from that experience to handle Azeroth because Azeroth is almost kind of it's it's like the same thing as it's, a child. Well, yeah, they make that parallel very very clear, right? On a like, much with, larger scale, but it's still a child. Yeah. 
And you have you have those powerful moments like, you know, with Maggie talking with his brother and his brother saying, you know, she needs somebody to teach her, be there for her. She needs a, you know, a guardian, someone to love her and forgive her. And it is sort of like this powerful thing that sort of translates directly into Azeroth because, you know, even though Azeroth is a titan, we don't know we don't know the level of understanding that Azeroth has, right? We don't know what the mentality of it. We don't know really know the birth of a titan yet. We know some of it, but we don't know enough of it. And the closest thing that she has to a guide at this point is is Magni. And it's really well laid out in this comic. Like this is probably my this and fault lines directly tie together, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And they do so in such a brilliant way that it it's this has become probably my favorite comic that they've put out. Um and the reason for that is because Magni, like you said, is is one of those characters that we we've had for fourteen years. We've had him forever. And these just add so much more depth to these simple stories that we've we've had all this time. Like there's a panel where, you know, you see him with his wife and daughter and they're, you know, looking at the griffins and then they're looking at the 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 little um, music box. And then there's a scene later on where they have an argument and this is after Magni's wife dies. And the and music box is like on the ground. Shattered. And, and then and then when his brother is lecturing him. He's, He's trying to put it back the, together yes. again for her. It, it is such a perfect metaphor for everything that's happened with him, right? It, it was this perfect scene that got broken, and now he's trying to fix it. But at the end of it, you see the pieces of that broken, like the broken box, still sitting on the table because he doesn't know how to fix it. That last page, or those last oh, two yes. pages, those last two pages are just like. They're so good. <laughs> they're just, they're really, really, really good. And I mean, I wouldn't expect any less. This this one was written by Matt Burns, who has written a lot of stuff for Blizzard, like short stories and the like. So I I was fully prepared to be punched in the gut with feelings, like right out the gate. As soon as I saw his name, I'm like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to hurt. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> uh I find it kind of interesting here because Magni, it's like Magni missed his chance at that paternal role, or he didn't miss his chance. He messed it up. He missed the mark with Moira. He 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 seriously did. And this is, in a way, his kind of second chance, only on a much, much larger scale, because we're not talking about one dwarf girl here. We're talking about the planet. So, um... I'm interested in seeing what happens to him. There, there's been some back and forth and some quibbling about whether or not Magni is actually like. I've heard some people speculate, and I have too, just kind of idly. I've thought about it. What if Magni is being duped here? What if Magni? Because the thing is, is like when you first go to find Magni up in Oldwar, what do you encounter on the way? you encounter sure. old god tentacles and stuff so you kind of that makes you like leap to the conclusion wait a minute is magni really talking to the world or is he talking to an old god that's you know spoofing itself as the world like what's going on here and you see that again when you go meet him over in Cholazar, that whole scenario that plays out where he's talking about the dreams of azeroth and she's dreaming about the, the old nightmares gods. yeah yeah and it's like Okay, Magni, are you talking to her or are you talking to something else? What's what's going on here? Um, they actually make a they make a visual allusion to that too in the comic, which yeah, I think is do. really interesting with the the fell and the the void tentacles around Moira's crib. Yeah, so well, I thought and, that was re- clever. 
Yeah, and the other thing with, you know, with Moira's crib and all of that, it, I mean, you have to look at the fact she's a shadow priest, so that's kind of in there, in the mix anyway. She, the thing is, is it's like, there was always that kind of lingering question, and I feel like this comic in particular put that to bed for me. I don't think that he's corrupt. I don't think that he's evil. I don't think he's, I think he's just trying to help in as much as he can like desperately trying to help and I don't think that he would be trying to help if it was an entity that wasn't I feel like he's talking to Azeroth I don't I don't think there's anything malicious about that here yeah I'm in agreement with you I said that before when when we first talked about sort of that theory that I don't I don't think Magni is I hate to say easily duped in that regard but I, I if he's doing anything harmful it is it is not intentional which we very clearly see that he's capable of making mistakes. Um, but I don't think he's corrupted. I don't think he's evil. I don't think, I, I honestly think he is tapped into Azeroth proper, um, mostly because when things happen, he feels them just as she does. So, well, like, I, and I think, go ahead. There's something just in general, one of the things I've always thought, and I, this is why I've never jumped on the, the Magni is corrupted or listening to the old gods bandwagon is because I don't think it's, I think it's much more along the lines of he's attempting to speak to something that is a planet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's focus is different. It's like he's trying to tease meaning out of the dreams of a gigantic being that isn't even born yet. And it's, uh, it's obsessions are on a different scale. Uh, it was terrified of Sargeras because it knew what Sargeras was going to do. And now that Sargeras has done it, it's a wounded child. The, the planet is screaming. Like he even says, you, you're screaming and screaming and I can't, I, you got, you know, he basically is saying, you're driving me crazy. You have to stop. I, you know, please tell me something I can actually do here. Um, that's like right at the beginning. And that's interesting to me because we're not dealing with, in, in a way, we're not dealing with a, with a cohate entity. We're not dealing with something that's rational because it is, you know, if you, if a baby is hungry, it yells. If a baby is cold, you know, or tired or unhappy, it yells. It doesn't have the tools to say, um, Hey guys, I, I could really use some food and it's cold here. Could, could we throw a blanket on me? It just yells. That's, that's all it's got. So I think we're much more, it's much more that than it is anything else. That would be what I think. And I think that this too, this comic is kind of a prelude to what we're going to be doing as far as, well, I mean, Battle for Azeroth, we all know we're going to be carting around, um, oh, those necklace things. And, and you're going to be gathering Azerite with the necklaces. It's it's just one of those little game mechanics. They mentioned that at BlizzCon. And we have seen that implemented into the beta, into the alpha and the beta now. Um and you get it. You get it when you run around and you find Azerite. It goes right into the necklace. Um, you're basically gathering Azeroth's lifeblood. And I feel like this comic here is kind of the impetus of that moment. This is where he figures it out. Because um, the last time we saw him in game, we left him in the desert. We left him in Silithus. Um, he was out there and he gave us a warning and he let us know what was going on and he let us know what was happening down there. But beyond that we didn't have any kind of like follow-up or conclusion we still don't we haven't done anything else down there not yet but regardless it was a really good comic i really appreciated it um i don't know how many we're going to get out of this series exactly they've been coming out on tuesdays right 
Yeah. That's what it looks like, yeah. Yeah. So if Which we're is, get I think is a good choice. This week it would be this Tuesday. Yeah, and I think that I think did Legion have four or five? I think Legion just had four, didn't it? I think it had four. Yeah. There were four comics leading up into Legion, so we um if they follow the pattern here, we've got at least two more to go. Um, and I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping we get another one this Tuesday. That would be great. I uh, I don't know if we'll get one the following Tuesday because that's when before the storm comes out. So I don't, if they want to double up on their release dates. Go right ahead, guys. I'm ready. <laughs> um, one thing is, do, do we like? Can we talk at all about any of the previews we've seen for for about before the Stormers? That not something we're going to talk. No, about? No, let's not talk about that. Um, the next episode that we do, the next episode that we record, we're going to be just. That's mm-hmm. all we're going to be talking about is before the storm. So if you guys have any questions or anything regarding the novel, um, any previews, or if you've read it and you have questions after reading it, please feel free to send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just put lore watch in the subject line so that we know that it's for this show. And yeah, you can ask pretty much anything about before the storm that you want. Um, not this show, but the following show. We'll be talking about that. Then I need to at least say this. Uh, put a pin in in discussion of both the comics for that time because there are specific things that come up again in that book that are related to yep. uh, these two comics. So yep. remember them, I guess. And we will do that. And we will come back to that next time. Anyway, that's enough about the comics. We do have some emails that we want to go ahead and address this time around. Um, the first one here, I'm going to have to, I think, expand a little bit because it's not very clear what what's intended here. But uh, this is from... Jerem, who says, hi, Jerem here. What are your feelings about similar storylines in different Blizzard IPs? For example, Cataclysm had the whole Age of Mortals angle. Diablo 3 had Tyrael being a mortal and er, going from being an angel to a mortal, and he prefers that. Uh, Starcraft 2, Legacy of the Void had a super weird story, but Kerrigan became a god and then became mortal again, and they happened one after another. Apparently, they turned Jerem off from Blizzard games for a while. So what he wants to know is what do we think about these kind of like echoes and similar similar themes across various Blizzard IPs? I can't really speak to Legacy of the Void because while I have kept up on the lore of it, I did not play it. Um, Kerrigan didn't become a god. She was effectively channeling the power of a Zelnaga. That's, you know, it's... But I'm not gonna... If you didn't like it, you didn't like it. That's, you know, that's immaterial. I haven't played the game. I can't tell you i i personally think diablo 3 did its bit uh first of all it doesn't feel similar to cataclysm at all to me uh they feel like completely different stories but i will admit that i actually prefer Tyrael's arc in diablo 3 to anything we got in cataclysm because Tyrael becoming a mortal isn't the same thing as Tyrael not being who he was mm-hmm. and there's like I keep coming back to this. I, one thing I really don't like about how Cataclysm did its Age of Mortals thing is that at the end, we basically find out that dragons are effectively sterile now. That's at least from C-Dev people and so forth. And I've never liked that. And I've always wanted them to come out and say, no, no, that's not what ha- what's happening. It's kind of like a raw deal. Yeah, it is. Like, hey, you check powerful? the world okay. for thousands of years, and then we're going to make it so you can't have any babies anymore and you just die out. Have fun. Yeah. I- and I get the whole concept of, well, you did what we needed you to do, but you're not necessary anymore. But it's like, thanks, I guess? That's that's a heck yeah, of a reward. but how cruel is that to say, no, okay, no, well, exactly. you're not necessary. Your role has been played out, so we're just going to let you die. Like, that's not yeah. even... It also, it sheds a weird light on Titans, too. Yeah. Right? Like, because, like, it makes you wonder if that's the fate of all Titan Forged. 
Like, oh, you served your purpose. You're obsolete. Bye. Bye. Hope you get. I hope you get that curse of flesh, because otherwise you guys are dead. <laughs> You're uh, but, just toast. But I mean, it's like going back to like the Tyrael thing for a second. Tyrael at the end of Diablo three is part of the Angiris Council, even though he's immortal. They don't. They you know they haven't kicked him out. He's still considered to be one of them, even though you know obviously uh, there's some shock and horror as to what he's done. They don't. They don't just ignore him. They don't like, you know, okay, you're done, whatever. Tyrael Whereas... took his stand and chose his side. And then once he told his, or chose that side, he prevailed anyway. I mean. Well, it, it, there's even a point in the game that I really like where Tyrael even makes the point that if he, I know it's actually the Nephilim who's like, it's a good thing you're mortal because if you weren't, you'd be on the ground like all those other angels and there'd be no one to help me stop Diablo. It's like, this yeah. had to happen. You know, because all literally Imperius and all the other angels are like, you know, seizing up because the crystal spire is being destroyed. And it's only Tyrael who can they be there to help you. And only through him ha- being there and having his sword, Eldred still works, by the way. So it, it recognizes him. It hasn't rejected mm-hmm. him. And that's the only way you get in. You would not have been able to get in without it. So it's it's a nice and I believe there's there's problems with the Diablo three story. I have some problems. There's some loose ends that needed to be tied up. It could have been done better. But that part of it is better than Cataclysm's Age of Mortals, in my opinion. The Age of Mortals story in Cataclysm kinda doesn't it feels like at the very end they're like, Oh yeah, and by the way, dragons are not aspects anymore. It's like, huh? W- was that a theme of this expansion? I don't remember anybody telling me that was gonna happen. I mean, cool. It sort of echoes the Warcraft three thing, but it's it could that's, have been that's more. That's the only thing that told. I kind of appreciated about it was that the end of it really echoed that whole the end of Warcraft mm-hmm. Three. Well, the end of the assault on Hyjal, where Medivh says, "You know, it's time to put the world in mortal hands, and I'm going to take my place among the legends of the past, whatever that means." Um, but this was kind of a more literal interpretation of that. I mean, yeah. I understand that they expended every, like, they were created to prevent the moment that Deathwing wanted to happen from happening. Well, see, for me, it boils down to this, and this is something that I think uh, you guys are, are familiar with. It's the seven basic plots that that basically everything falls into, and it's, it, yeah. this. these all fall into them. And for those of you that don't know, the seven basic plots are Overcoming the Monster, A Rags to Riches, The Quest, Voyage and Return, Comedy, Tragedy, and Rebirth. And the concept is that every story that's been told since the beginning of time essentially falls into one of these seven categories. And the stories here fall into those categories pretty neatly, actually. Um, some of them, there was some some overlap, but it doesn't bother me as much because I look at them and it's like, okay, well, you know, Tyrael is a mortal now. Well, that that's a story of rebirth, right? He's, he's being reborn as something else and accepting that role. Um, the age of mortals in cataclysm, that that's a tragedy there. That's, you know, with a little bit of overcoming that monster in it as well. But it's that big tragedy at the end where, you know, this idyllic life that, you know, we thought that the dragons were going to have after, you know, the monster was defeated isn't so much the case anymore. It's kind and of I, and a story I, of sacrifice. It is. It, it very much is. And that and that's that big tragic moment when we realize the dragons are no more. Once they're gone, they're gone. Um, I don't necessarily like that with those characters because I feel I feel attached to them. Um, but I understand it. And the, the legacy of the void thing is it's almost like a, it's a voyage in return. It's, it's 
Kerrigan becomes a god, then mortal again. I, I, I agree with Rossi. It's not necessarily becoming a god, but she becomes well, incredibly powerful and then drops back down to what she was. Let's and even that's, go further. And that's a that, cycle, though. right? Yeah, but with Kerrigan, let's actually go further. Because what actually happens to Kerrigan over the course of those three games is Kerrigan goes from the queen of the uh, Zerg to a human again. They, they, they get her back. And then that's, they didn't bother to ask her if she wanted to. Mm-hmm. And it's like it was Rainer's obsession. He kind of forced it on her. And then she basically, it's, it's like a gentle, gently says, I get that you care about me, but I didn't ask you to fix me. And that's her, her entire arc is about establishing that, you know, yes, being a queen of blades wasn't by choice, but it wasn't by choice to get it taken away from her either. And when given the choice, she goes back to it. And that's really the journey of that. The, the God mm-hmm. thing in the end, that's the Zelnaga bit at the end is literally just, here's a MacGuffin so this story can end. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and that sometimes happens and it's not always, if you didn't like Legacy of the Void, that's fair. I, again, haven't played it, uh, just read all the lore, you know, because uh, that's me. I want to keep up on these things. But in the case of that, it's very much a sort of, it's sort of an inversion of the typical journey where, like, fate is thrust upon you. This is one of those ones where even if fate wasn't thrust upon her, she chose it. She picked her damnation. And that's there's a that's a big part of that story that's not in the other two. And I think it's interesting. Uh, the, the the thing is, is Blizzard is going to tell broad stroke stories because mm-hmm. they're trying to tell stories for like large groups of people. And not only that, telling telling broad stroke stories is, I, I hate to say, good for business because we as players, we as consumers of that product can imprint onto those broader stories um, when they're slightly you know, left open-ended or have sort of those gaps that we can kind of fill in ourselves. We become more invested in it. The and more I mean, open-ended you leave yeah. it and the more broad you have it, the more people can identify with. And and I don't say, I mean, when I say the more people can identify with it, I don't mean there's more opportunity the more that they're capable to. I mean, a larger number of people can yeah. identify with it if it's broad strokes because different people identify with different aspects of that story. You leave it broad and you give people all kinds of aspects that they can identify with and plug themselves into and, and little things that they can latch onto. Um, maybe not necessarily the same thing from person to person to person, but there's enough of a story there that it's open-ended enough for everybody to find something. Look at what we were just talking about. We were just talking about two very different comics. Yeah. But if if you are a girl of a certain age or a woman of a certain age, you've probably had relations with you know with your parents that didn't go the way you intended them at least once or twice in your life. And both Jaina and Moira present different kinds of relationships with parents. You know, Jaina's mother is still alive. Her father is dead. Things didn't go well. I mean, obviously, most of us haven't killed our fathers behest of an orc, but most of us have at least once or twice had problems with our parents. That's just something you can relate to. And here you've got two different women with two different problems with their parents. They they grew up different. Jaina's story is interesting to me because it if you take a step back from the whole fact that she like let her father be killed, uh the broader picture there is it's kind of an identify identification point for anybody who has turned away from their parents' advice because they assume that they knew better. Mm-hmm. And that's everybody. We've all done that. <laughs> I mean, I've done that. I did that. I don't know how many times or I was like, I know more than you. I know what's better for myself. I know what's better for the world. 
I'm going to go do that thing. And then it turns around and bites you in the butt and you have to go back. You have to go back to your roots. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that doesn't. Sometimes the parent comes around and says, okay, maybe you were right. Sometimes it turns out that you weren't right after all. And you didn't actually know everything under the sun because nobody does. But with Jaina, there's, there's obviously there's that element there where her dad is dead because of what she did. So there's a heavier burden for her to bear. And I find that really interesting. Um, yeah, and, and at the same time, you've got Moira with the exact opposite problem. Well, and the other thing that uh, yeah. I find really interesting about Jaina's story in particular was that in that comic, she found out that her mother had to argue with her father to allow her to go to Dalaran. It was her mother that got her into Dalaran. It wasn't her father. Her father may have taken her there. Her father may have been her point of contact after she left Colteris and everything, but when she left, when she was a little girl, it was her mother that was like, send her there, make her a mage, do it. And she didn't know that. Jaina didn't know that. So all of a sudden she has this, oh, moment, you know, where maybe she wasn't on the best of terms with her mother, but it turns out that her mother was a really strong proponent for everything that she is and everything that she became. And I find that interesting too. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Moira. Yes. Oh, just I'm saying, like, at the same time, you've got that story going on, and then you have a different story with, I mean, they're both identifiable for, you know, anybody's got, everyone's got parents, except for people who, you know, orphans, whatever. And then there's, there's plenty of orphans in WoW. There's a lot of different characters in WoW who you can get different stuff from. You've got Thrall. You can identify with Thrall if, like, you didn't know your parents or didn't know where you came from. That's like a story you can identify with. Or you could identify with Garrosh, who only knew his father from like stories of what he'd done. You know, you grew up only knowing somebody through a few stories told about them. You know, like I, my mom's dad died like before I was born. Uh, so I never knew my grandfather. I just, he was a guy that I heard stories about from time to time. It wasn't until I was an adult I found out all the things he did in his life. And he actually did a lot of things in his life I didn't know about. He, he, was, a, he was an NFL referee back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, I, that's, that's news to me. I didn't know that until like I was almost 30. That's uh, after cool. my, I didn't know that until after my mom died. Like, let me put it that way. I, hadn't, I didn't find out until after my mom died. So there's... You can relate to that if, you know, your family is not always something you know about. There's there's always – and there's lots of characters in World of Warcraft that can do that for you. Or talking about Diablo, maybe you identify with the Nephilim because they're, you know, the hero of the story. But maybe you identify with Leah who is somebody who doesn't really know her place in the world. And, you know, just all she's got is this crazy old guy she travels around with. And it's impossible to take him seriously because he just tells you the craziest things. And then one day you find <laughs> out, you know, literally all that crazy stuff he was saying is true. Like, he, he wasn't exaggerating at all. Like, there's parts of the story, like the game, where, like, it's like, oh, uncle, don't tell your crazy stories. And then the dead start walking. And it's like, um... Okay, maybe the crazy stories were quite as crazy. That's cinematic with Leah and Tyrael. Where where he like reveals who he is to her, and she sees him like really sees him for the first time. I love that cinematic so much. <laughs> the thing about that one too, when you watch it, the thing I've always catch on is the visual shorthand they use. Look at how big Tyrael's hand is compared to hers. Yeah, his hand is literally like she can barely get her fingers around one of his fingers. And you watch the bit when she touches him and she starts having the flashes and she sees what, you know, what he did and when the fight in heaven and all that, there's just, and that's just one of many characters. Like 
that's the way that, that broad stroke storytelling can work in that instead of giving you one tight focus narrative, what they're giving you is a broad array of narratives that you can select from. And something like you pointed out about Magni talking about how we've had Magni for 14 years and a lot of this stuff is brand new because up until now, Magni hasn't been featured. No, but now he is now he is stepped up in a real way. Like the, the role we thought thrall was going to play um, in cataclysm, the role we thought he was going to be of like the speaker for the earth type thing. That's Magni that, now. Magni, Magni took it and, and thrall even there's that story that we read in Cata where Thrall is like trying to touch the earth and he senses Magni. Yeah. You remember that? It was, uh, it was one of the short stories. Oh, and I can't remember the name of it. Something or other of the aspects. Anyway. Um, yeah. Where he went, he basically, he was in high doll and he was trying to figure out what was going on and he was trapped underground and trying to tap into the earth. And for an instant there, just like a flash, he detected Magni and it didn't say Magni directly. It just said that a creature of diamond or whatever, there there were still thoughts going there. And, mm-hmm. and then he found Deathwing and it all went crazy. But yeah. Um, Twilight of the Aspects Thrall, right? Well, and the thing is, is like, I don't think Thrall could have been in that role. I don't think Thrall, Thrall could have fulfilled that kind of a role in the same way that Magni can. Why? Because Thrall isn't from Azeroth. I mean, was he born there? Yes. But was he... He was born there, but he was conceived back on Draenor. He's a child of Draenor, as, in, know, I, in as much as any of the orcs are, really, at heart, you know? And that lets you deal with, like, the idea that some of us are not from where we're living. Like, yeah. there's, that's, a, that's a story hook for some people. Some people, like, they themselves were born elsewhere, or they've come from people who were born elsewhere, and you have to deal with that. That's, like... Another thing that some people can bring to a story and, and hook into it and identify with. Thrall's so. story has always been about kind of like trying to establish that home. Where do you call home when home doesn't exist anymore? And I mean, he went back home. It was shattered in pieces in Outland. Like, there's nothing left of it. There's a little bit, tiny little bit in the Grand, and that's it. The rest of it is just in pieces. So what do you call home when you don't really have one? How do you establish a home when the very place that you're trying to establish it in is fighting against your existence, you know? Um, yeah, and again, like, and all of this is basically just a, a big way of saying yeah. these stories are going to re- reoccur they, they, because that's what they're trying to do is to, to find as many ways to engage as many different people as they can. That's just how these things work. I also like to think that in, in, on, to some degree game developers kind of as they progress through their own lives you see the reflection of what is important in their lives in oh, the yeah. games that they develop well that's true of any writer i think right like so any any writer who's crafting a story uh, i mean and you know you guys are are definitely in this category as well when you think about everything that you write about throughout all these years how it's evolved yeah. and how it changes as your view changes that's just natural that's just going to happen because you have more information now. You have more life experience. It's kind of like a reflection of who you are at that snapshot point in time. And you're not going to be that person forever. You change and you evolve. But the story still stands as kind of a reflection of who you were back then. Um, but when I, you know, when I say that developers kind of shape the game to fit their lives. I mean, you look at something like God of War. 
where the early games were very much go beat up stuff. I I loved watching my roommate play the early God of War games because it Mm -hmm. was just like a slaughter fest and it was really entertaining to watch, right? But then you look at the latest one and the latest one is him with a kid. And and there's like this whole dynamic shift going on. Dad Dad of boy. Dad of boy, yeah, boy, boy. There's this whole, there's this whole dynamic shift, though, and you have to think. I mean, I haven't played it. Obviously, I don't have a a console system that can play it. But when I look at something like that, I go, yeah, okay, that developer that was all about the blood and guts and gore, he's a dad now. Yep. Oh yeah. And and this is this is this is as much about him coming to terms with his role as as a father as it is with the developer doing the same thing or like that's what interests that developer that's that's the heavy part of that developer's life at that point in time so that's what's going to reflect in these games and you kind of see that shift in games over over any kind of period of time world of warcraft has had that shift too i mean when it first came out it was very much i don't want to say cookie cutter but it kind of was where it was like this is our MMO this is our baby here we go this is what should be in an MMO let's do it and it had more story than Warcraft 3 yes but it didn't have the depth of story that it does today and yeah it was very basic if you want to like shifted. talk about that it's shifted expansion over expansion and it's gotten more and more and more and more dynamic and i'm really kind of interested in seeing what it comes to with Battle for Azeroth. We've seen like the very first little pieces of what's going on. We haven't seen the end of it. And we don't know where this is going to end when we get to the end of it. Like we have no idea. That stuff is all in patches that have yet to be released or even put on the PTR or anything. What we have on beta is the very early iteration of the game that's going to come out day one. And as we saw with Legion what we saw on launch day was not where we ended up because we ended up on Argus and I don't think anybody was really expecting that not from the outset anyway so I, I would know. like it noted that I, I, I did call I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> you can check the tapes look if we don't end up at Nihilatha I'm going to be really upset I'm just saying <laughs> you're both going to be amazingly surprised when we you know instead of Nihilatha the entire expansion takes place in the in in Ankaraj. Yeah, we just go like, back what? to Ankaraj. Or or, <laughs> or or instead of that, it actually just loops back to Whimsyshire. You know, one or the other. Oh no, that'd be great though. It'd be fun. Anyway, uh, I think we talked that to death. I have another question here that's kind of a quick one, and I think we have time for that, and then maybe a little bit more chatter, but not much because we've been going for quite a while. I didn't realize how long we've been going for. Yeah. Um. Anyway. This one is from Christopher, who says, Love the Diablo stuff. Shout out to my guild. The strays on Proudmoor. My question for WoW lore is, we haven't had a true guardian since Medivh. Cadgar rejected the title, I think. I apologize if I'm wrong. But is it possible that Rathion is a new guardian and Battle for Azeroth is going to come down to the need of a new guardian and it's Rathion? Okay. Oh, there will be no Rathion ever again. He's not going to show up. Just stop. It's all going to be not Rathion. I said this because I want her to kill me, apparently. <laughs> I'm going to murder you, but... um. I'm going to assume, Christopher, that you haven't played through Assault on Karazhan, or the Assault of Karazhan, where you go back to Karazhan. Um, at the end of that, Medivh shows up and says, hey, Cadgar, you're the new guardian. And Cadgar says, no, I don't want the, that power. 
and Medivh says, you don't need the power of the Tyrus Fallen. You've got everything you need, and you're going to be a better guardian than I am. And then he says, what does he say? It's something about, it may be simpler to shut a door than pass through it, but sometimes a step into the unknown is required to break the bonds of fate or something like that. I don't know. He says a very so, medieval thing. Sort of the cycle. It was about breaking the cycle. He says a very medieval thing, and then he flies off into the nether in his raven form. And Kargar is left, and he is guardian whether he would like it or not. Does he have the powers of the Tyrus Fallen? No, he does not. Does he need them? No. Does anybody need them? No. I mean, he's already what got did, ATS. What did the guardian of Tyrus Fall do? Like, what did they do, typically? They fought the Burning Legion. They fought off the worst of the worst. Aegwyn Ag- fought off the Avatar of Sargeras and won. That was her big moment as a guardian. There weren't a lot of guardians, but that's what they were there for, was to protect the world from the Burning Legion and threats like that. We are in that role now. Everybody that's playing World of Warcraft, what do you think we're doing? We beat the heck out of Sargeras. We imprisoned him on Argus, far, far away. (laughs) Illidan is watching over him. Possibly, you know, they may just be up there punching each other. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing right now, um... But I'm sure that Illidan is having a grand old time, whatever it is. It's just, I don't think that we need a guardian in the same vein as Aegwyn or Medivh anymore. I don't think that anybody needs the power of the Tyrus Fallen. Look at us! Look what we're walking around with in Legion! Look at look at how many legendaries we have slapped on ourselves and then stuffed in our bags because we couldn't carry or we couldn't wear more than two at a time. We are the Guardians. We have been all this time. As for Rathion, I don't think that he's going to be like a Guardian or anything like that. I want him to come back. I I keep saying this in the hopes that somebody at Blizzard will hear that and bring him back again. Because, frankly, he was one of the most interesting characters they've introduced in a long time. And I'm mad. I'm mad that he's not around more. I mean, I guess it's okay so we don't get tired of him like we did with Thrall, but still, come on, guys. Well, it's been a couple expansions now at this point where yeah. I think it's it, it would be nice to have him back at least in a little bit of the story. Um, and more than just randomly showing up with a, you know, a quest event type thing that he really doesn't do a whole lot, doesn't really say a whole lot. He's just kind of there, and we're not even sure why. Especially now, we're like, and we've talked about this before. You have you have Ebonhorn who's out and about, and now you have Rathion. That was an interesting dynamic. I'd love to see those two interact. I really, honestly would. Um, bring especially since we've seen that Ebonhorn needs to stay within certain prescribed bounds to keep the old gods from corrupting him. Yeah. Yep. Me, uh, Rathion has not been staying in any such prescribed bounds, and for whatever it's worth, I don't think he's corrupted by old gods in the slightest. Which is which is interesting. Which is why I kind of want to see those two interact because it's like, is this That's because what made Rathion extraordinary was that he was a purified black dragon egg. He had no touch of the old gods at all. We manufactured him. Sure, but I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I wonder if. There's opportunity there for interesting storytelling between the two of them, as well, basically, right? Like, it, it could be a thing that where is Ebonhorn actually not able to leave because of the corruption? is, Or is that just something he believes because he saw all the other ones fall to the touch? Well, no, he literally had attacked him. You've done the uh, the, the bit to get to get the, the, the new Die Mountain, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. He gets attacked by the old gods when he leaves that those prescribed areas. Yeah. When those totems, he is almost controlled. He even says, they almost had me. Like, it's not, he doesn't just believe it. It happened to him. Mm-hmm. He felt their touch. He so, can't leave High Mountain. So, you know, it's like he went out and tried it. And, oh, God, that was bad. Oh, no, shouldn't have done that. Which also also leads to the possibility that there's an old god underneath uh, Thunder Bluff, but that's we can worry about that later. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> well, or as we see, maybe an not old necessarily god an old god. Kind, I think there's an old god kind of in that upper quadrant of Kalimdor, honestly, because um, if you go to like Ashenvale, there's tentacles and stuff all over the place in Ashenvale in that one mm-hmm. glen. And there's like a herald there in that one glen. And then, of course, we have all the stuff that was excavated over on Darkshore. That's all an old god. That that stuff isn't for Cthune. So who is it? Who's over there? Is that where Nizoth is hanging out? Or is he somewhere else? Like, there's something going on there. And, yeah, I think you're right. I think whatever old god is. I, I, I think it's like that whole upper quadrant. Because, I mean, we saw we saw how far the reach of Yogg-Saron extended. It was like the entirety of Northrend. There's yep. something there in Northern Kalimdor. We just haven't found it yet, but it's there. <laughs> and I know that like Chronicle and all these other books, they've been saying, you know, there's this many old gods or whatever. No, I think there's more than that. I, I seriously, I think there's more than that. I don't know. All right. Anyway, uh, Christopher, I hope that answers your question. I suggest if you haven't played um, Return to Karazhan, get a group together and go do it because it's actually really fun, um, super fun. And the stuff that you find out in there is actually pretty lore heavy, which is pretty great. Uh, I think that's going to go ahead and wrap us up, though. Like I said, next time we get together, we will be talking about Before the Storm, Christy Golden's novel that comes out on June 12th. Uh, if you guys have any questions about any preview material or about the book itself, once you get it in your hot little hands and have it read... Please send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. Um, and we will dive into that and roll around and see what happens when the show happens again. Anyway, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on your podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, the listeners of Blizzard Watch and Lore Watch, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can download a bunch of Blizzard titles as well as many others at blizzardwatch.com slash audible and you can use that free audiobook download to pre-order the audiobook version of Before the Storm. I believe that's still available on the website there. So if you haven't gotten Before the Storm yet, if you haven't pre-ordered it, this is a good way to do that. Um, and I highly recommend it because Blizzard's audiobooks are pretty much top-notch. Anyway, you can get that again at blizzardwatch.com slash audible and every sign up helps support the show and everything that we do. Final thoughts, you guys. What do you want the next comic to feature? Trolls. Yeah. I, I want I want something I want something more in the I can't talk about why without any spoilers, but yeah. I just want I want more information because there's Look, some things that I've been Zandal- hearing that we have <laughs> Zandal- Zandalar is coming up in Battle for Azeroth. So something featuring Yes the trolls would be good. Yeah. I want to know how certain people ended up in the stockades, which uh, ties into what you guys are talking about. Yes. Two people in particular ended up in the stockades. I want to know how they got there. Show me <laughs> that. I would 
like to see yeah actually I would I I think I'd kind of like to see troll stuff obviously because we have um Zandalar is going to feature that's the horde side of things is on Zandalar so I'd love to see some of the background of the stuff that's going on over there uh I think the other thing that I would like to see is I would like to see some kind of send off to Gadgar I would like to see where he left after he left when you encountered him in the Silithus Desert and he and he said his words and then he took off. I'd like to see where he went, what he's going to do now. Um, it was kind of a wild and crazy two expansions with the old dude. I'd just like to make sure that he's not going to, you know, go somewhere and promptly get himself killed or whatever. Like he's actually going to go do something productive. That would be nice. <laughs> but that's just me. I'm sure the rest of you are heartily sick of Cadgar. <laughs> no, I could do with more Dadgar. Yeah. I'm going to miss the old man. Him, I'm not sick of him, but I'm glad we're going to take a break from him. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've gotten, we've just gotten up to the edge where it's like, okay, I've had enough of Cadgar. He can go away forever now. We've gotten to the point where it's like, all right, I am, I am ready to see Cadgar step off into the sunset. I'd just like to know where he's going. If y'all could let us know, that'd be great. Anyway, uh, I guess we'll find out in the next few weeks here because I don't think they're done with their comics with releasing their comics just yet. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Thank you guys very much for listening as always. And we will see you in two weeks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.